Let us hear the words of the Lord. Ephesians 4, 25, 5 through 2. So then, putting away all falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors. For we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for the building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And be kind to one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a, frag a fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Lord. This is the word of God. Please bow and pray with me. Lord God, open our hearts to your word. Let us be not just hearers of your word, but doers. Let us not feel as though we are in this journey together, but let us rely on one another, those in the body of Christ, to uplift, to show forgiveness, love, and to be gracious and merciful one toward another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So an introduction before the introduction. So there are a couple of ideas that I'm going to address, and I'm not really sure how they'll, how they'll land, but it's a, a work in progress. This is a, a working sermon, and when you think of types of sermons, this one is, is meant to, to shed light on some behaviors that we already have as presented in Ephesians, but also see the relevancy of some of these behaviors or have a context for some of these behaviors. So going beyond what is in the text per se, but uh, teasing out some of, these, some of these concepts. Not all of them, this is not meant to be exhaustive, but definitely looking at some ways that we may, for instance, uh, be untruthful, present falsehoods, not lift one another up, but using uh, different words. And also I will be looking at defining these so everyone can understand given our youth uh, we don't have children per se in the in the sanctuary but if those who are tuning in just kind of want a way to define some of these more complex concepts to kids I will be in this will be more or less an intergenerational sermon so I want to give you a heads up if you're wondering why is she belaboring that point I think I think I get it all right so to begin there's this movie that came out several years ago. I want to say almost a decade ago now, because the person I was with 
when I saw it, I think she was about six, and now she's 16. So, man, where does a decade go? But the, uh, but the movie was Inside Out. Anyone familiar with that movie? Yes? If you haven't seen Inside Out, you have to, you know, it's on Disney Plus or whatever. Uh, but see if you can borrow a copy from your great-grandchild or your grandchild. I'm sure they love to watch it with you. But in Inside Out, it has this main character named Riley. And the movie is about Riley growing up. And as she grows up, her emotions become more complex. So as a baby, it's happy and sadness, happy and sadness. As she gets older, it's happy, sadness, maybe anger. And then still growing up, happy, sadness, anger, fear, because we know that when you're of a certain age, you fear nothing, right? There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you won't do. And it's only an adult that says, that could kill you. Please stop it. That prevents you from, from doing it, right? Other than that, you're game for anything. And then she develops again, and then disgust comes in. Like, ew, don't want that, right? For no, no particular reason other than it doesn't look good, whatever the case. And so the movie looks at how emotions play a part in our lives so that no emotions are deemed good or bad per se because how you feel is how you feel, right? When an event happens in your life that gets you excited, you're there. You're, you're riding that wave. If something happens in your life and you're sad, you're there. Like you, you just, it's not, okay, that event happened. I call upon fear now. You know, it's not. It's not a, a voluntary action, it's, it's involuntary, we respond. But I wanna reduce the emotions to four basic emotions. They, as we get older, they do become more complex. We have different words for describing um, if we feel angst, if we feel resentment, if we feel anxiety, if we feel perplexed, if we feel all these other kind of emotions, but what they bear down to basically happiness, sadness, fear, anger. All the complex emotions that we experience can be boiled down to those four. You can debate me on that, but according to this sermon, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> we start there. <laughs> that's our foundation. No argument on that. We can, you can debate me later, but like I said, all intents and purposes, those four, right? And not even joy, because you'll say, wait, what about joy? I'll mention joy later on, but I'll argue that joy is more a disposition that's not dependent upon a situation. So you, someone maybe passed away, someone is sick, and you're like, well, why would I have joy in that situation? Like, that's a very sad thing. Well, joy is more an outlook, a, con, a, con, a conception. How you perceive this situation. No, it's not a happy situation, but you don't go into deep despair and despondency because someone is sick. You see kind of the difference a little bit? I'll go, in that, I'll go into it more later on. So that's where we are. And then talk about the fruits of the spirit. If we look at Galatians chapter 5, 22 through 23, we get joy, we get peace, we get love, we get kindness, we get all these others which are 
states of being, conditions that aren't dependent upon, again, our situations, and fruits of the Spirit. So we'll go into that a little bit later on. All right, so I want to look at verse 25 in our text. It says, so then putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors. Who here has told a little white lie? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not even going to look. You don't even have to look at me like, you know, knowingly. Or who, who has told a falsehood because we were seeking to spare another person's feelings, right? We don't, we don't want to upset that person. Or, you know, maybe the person has a volatile personality and we do not want to engage them. So we will tell a falsehood to evade that temper because we do not want any part of it. And again, you don't have to say anything. You may be that person. You may be the person that people tiptoe around, right? They're just like, ooh, do not discuss that at the dinner table. The family's coming together. These are topics that you don't discuss. And you may have a list of them because you know it may be a trigger for someone, right? So instead of just saying falsehood, I want to be very specific. And this isn't all falsehoods. I just want to be specific with this one because I think that we deal with that a lot in our own lives and within the church. So I want to call a name to this particular falsehood, and I'm going to name it manipulation. Are we familiar with that one? For our young ones, manipulation is when you pretend so that you can have your way. That's manipulation. An example of that would be, you don't want to go to school. Well, there's a reason for that now. Let's say, uh, your legs are tired. You don't want to walk anymore. And your parent has already said, we're not picking you up. Just walk, we're almost to the car. You can handle it. And so then you throw a fit, and then you start complaining about your feet hurt, that there's something in your shoe, that has scratched the bottom of your foot and you just can't go on. What you're doing is you're pretending that you have an injury to get your parents' sympathy so your parents will go like, oh, oh, wow, we didn't know you were injured. Come here, come here, let's pick you up. We'll take you the rest of the way. You're not seriously injured. You just don't feel like walking, you know? That's manipulation. You're pretending to get your own way. Now adults, we have a more nuanced definition of manipulation, right? I want you to get it in your mind. And I'm not saying that you were, you manipulate, but you know manipulation when you see it. If not, let me help you out. So the, this is not something that I'm making up. It comes from Time article. So uh, for those of us who, who read Time. So, Manipulative, manipulative behavior seeks to control, right? To control another person through coercion. So this could be behavior that motivates through fear, through obligation, and through guilt. So what that means is that you're afraid. The, the person that's manipulating causes you to feel 
afraid. You don't really know why, because it seems like the words that the person is using seem reasonable enough, but you have a feeling inside you that is fearful. You can't quite put your finger on it, but you sense that this is not a good situation. So that's one. You feel obligated. So maybe a, a situation is being presented to you as though you have a choice. However, you get, you're getting the feeling as though you don't, where it's an ultimatum that's being presented to you. And if you don't, there will be dire consequences. Another emotion, complex emotion that may come up, come up is guilt. That if you don't give in to the fear, that didn't work, okay, they're not afraid enough. If you don't feel obligated, okay, that didn't work. Then there's guilt. You feel like, oh, I, I could have done it. it. It wasn't too much of an obligation. I know if I rearrange my schedule, I can make it happen. And it's, it's within my abilities and skill. So, so what, what's the problem, right? But this is the manipulation that's happening. It's not being presented to you as transparent. It's not an outright ask. It's a falsehood, right? And we don't think about manipulation that way because maybe we've done manipulation. There, there's the mindset that there is good manipulation. It can motivate, right? But using those three that I just defined, if it causes fear, if it causes guilt, and the person feels obligated, that good and those three don't occupy the same space, all right? So you're like, well, how does that happen in the church? I'll give you a minute. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> stepping on toes here. Uh, so I'll let you hang on to those examples. But in the body of Christ, it happens all the time right? If you don't believe this way, then you're not a real Christian. If you don't raise your children this way, then maybe you're going to the wrong church. If you don't respond to a particular situation this way, maybe we need to rethink whether or not we should be hanging with you. Manipulation, manipulation. It's not said outright, but you start feeling these complex emotions which really can be reduced to fear, right? A lot, we, we may say anger, but sometimes anger is the outward response because anger is culturally acceptable. When someone is angry, you go like, yeah, do that. All right, good for you to get angry. But when someone is fearful, we tend to not celebrate that emotion, right? And even biblically speaking, it's like God has not given us the spirit of fear. So why are you fearful? And if I might for a moment, fear is a basic emotion. When it becomes a problem is when we allow fear to dictate our actions. Everything that we do is motivated in fear. Oh, we can't do anything new. We've never done that before. Oh, that's not what we used to do. Oh, I don't know about that. You know, that doesn't look like what I'm used to doing. So we're just not going to do that. There's no good reason other than fearing the unknown. 
And so going back to, you know, uh, my kids for a second, when parents are teaching you fear, it's not necessarily because they don't want you to have fun, but it's about being safe. You know, if you run out into the middle of the street and there's a car coming, yeah, you need to have fear. There needs to be fear. Again, the emotion, right? Our emotions can sometimes keep us safe, and other times our emotions are just a reaction. All right, moving on. Verse 29, it reads, Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. So, again, two words, two phrases or terms that I'm going to be using. One, self-sabotage. Two, self-esteem. So for my young ones, self-sabotage is to put a block in your way, a block, a barrier, to prevent yourself from doing something you want to do, a good thing you want to do. It's, it's healthy, it promotes well-being, and, and you want it, you look forward to it, but then self-sabotage comes in and you end up not doing it. Another way to think of self-sabotage is to bully yourself. You're a bully to yourself. You prevent yourself from doing what you, what you know is right or accomplishing a task. And then there's self-esteem. Self is how I will list me. What, what would I say about me? It's like, oh, average height, generally happy, things like that, how I see myself. Esteem part is how do I evaluate that? Meaning, is it good or bad? Like, do I think that how I am is good or do I think that how I am is not good? Right? So self-esteem. All right. For our adults, self-sabotage. Are you wondering how I got from verse 29 to self-sabotage? Some of you? You're like, she's stretching it. No, let's look. It says, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up. When we sabotage ourselves, we are telling ourselves that we don't deserve it, we cannot do it. It'll never work out. There's someone better. We've been here before and there's been failure. It's too much, too soon. We'll never get over it. I don't deserve it. Just on and on and on. And again, out of fear. It's out of fear. We fear that God will not bless us. We fear that although we've seen God do it in other people's lives, that God won't, won't come through for us because we've been disappointed before. Self-sabotage, procrastinate. Any procrastinators? You don't have to raise your hand. I'm not looking. <laughs> but to procrastinate, not giving ourselves time to achieve. Self-sabotage. How does that work in the church? Oh, oh, we get 
a leadership position, or maybe not even a leadership position. Maybe we're just part of a team, part of a committee, and we get a task, and we're like, yes, I got a task. I'm great. And then closer and closer and closer we get to the deadline, and we just about lose it. We just about lose it. Because we thought, oh, they gave me too much. I'm not qualified. I've not done this before. Why would they even give this to me? They should have known better. And we create all these excuses for why we are unable to achieve. I want to name some, some other identifiers of self-sabotage. It may self, you, or maybe you've seen it in someone else, right? No evil talk come out of your mouths, but what is useful for building someone up? So when someone is self-sabotaging, they might blame others when things go wrong. Is there somebody in your life who's like that? It's never their fault. Even when it was their responsibility, it's never their fault. You should have seen that I wasn't doing well. You should have seen that it wasn't working out. You shouldn't have asked me in the first place. That's on you. Choosing to walk away. It gets difficult. Instead of asking for help, just up and go. With everything, up and walk away. Leaving others to pick up the slack. Picking fights. Do you know someone that's particularly quarrelsome? For no particular reason. It's like every time a simple question evokes ire just on you constantly to the point, I, excuse me for breathing, but you said you were going to, and I was just checking to see if you were, but oh, oh, okay. And then, of course, putting themselves down. Constantly, constantly putting themselves down. And it's not humorous, like that self-deprecating humor. It's not funny. It's like everything is like, oh, you should, oh, you know, there, there, there I go, messing up again. Oh, you gave it to me, and here I'm flubbing. Yes. So I hope I made an argument for how manipulation and self-sabotage work with verse 25 and verse 29. So then the question is, how do we overcome this? How, how can we get beyond? The obvious question is, maybe someone does need professional help. I'm not a psychiatrist, psychologist. I just read books and tell you what I read. But sometimes there are, there's that, before we get to that, before maybe there isn't professional help that's needed. Maybe it's just encouraging words but only what is useful for building up. Or encouraging words, putting away falsehood. People don't need to be lied to. I know that's, that's, not, that's not really in our culture, right? You know, we lie constantly uh, for various reasons, but when we talk about a Christian walk, when we talk about not grieving the Holy Spirit, I mean, it's not creating a separation between us and God. We have to practice putting away falsehood. So in the case of manipulation, if you feel you're being manipulated, if you feel someone is being manipulated, how do you navigate that? What do you do? Well, one psychologist suggests that 
take a minute. He said, I'll get back to you on that. Oh, you present an interesting case. Let me think about that some more. Sometimes what it takes is being honest about what you're sensing. I know that's a level of vulnerability, right? Being exposed, feeling exposed, like another complex emotion. But that's being honest with ourselves. Like this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel healthy. It doesn't feel as though this is for my well-being. So let me think about this for a moment, and I will. I will give you a response. And you're thinking about, what if, what if it's like a power dynamic? What if they hold your future in their hands? I will say this, and this will take courage. So I, it will take courage, and it's kind of like just, yeah, you're yeah, right, in an ideal situation, right? What if we just trusted God in that situation? I know. It's like, whoa, what's she talking about? Self-sabotage. How can we, when we see someone self-sabotage, what can we do? Uh, we can identify the behavior. Not just if it's you who's doing it, but maybe in a, in a way, if you feel comfortable, say, I noticed that this is happening. Learn your triggers. What triggers you? So no self, right? What is going on? that's causing you to self-sabotage over and over and over again. It's from childhood, previous relationships, previous circumstances. Know that. Know that. Here's one that I thought was really interesting, and I'll, I'll rephrase it, but get comfortable with failure. I would say maybe not comfortable with failure, but I'll say get comfortable with not always winning and I know in a winning culture that is so difficult because we want to win we want to be viewed as winners but creates a hardship all right so going back to what I said about the spirit and joy so a community in Christ in order for this to happen we need to make room and to be occupied with the spirit the Holy Spirit, that gives us the joy, the kindness, the self-control, forgiveness, patience. Did I miss one? Do you remember? It's good. Goodness, <laughs> gentleness, to be gentle, and hope, and of course, love. When we occupy ourselves with that, not just in our own lives, but in the body of Christ, we don't make room for self-sabotage. We don't make room for manipulation. We don't make room for all those things that can tear us down, but also jeopardize our witness to people outside. Because what we do in here doesn't just stay in here. What we do at home just doesn't stay at home. It goes out into the world. And it could camouflage the fact that we have a relationship with the Lord. I want to leave us with this. In Ephesians, it looks like, man, it, Paul is asking us to be perfect. The Bible is always asking us to be perfect. No, it's not. The Bible doesn't ask us to be perfect. There's one person who was perfect, and we saw what ended up with him. So it's not perfection that we're seeking. It's healthy. We're seeking to be healthy because we're going to mess up. 
We're not going to get it right. We're going to have those moments of doubt. We're going to have those moments of fear. We're going to have those moments of anger. We're going to have those moments of sheer joy and utter elation. But the point is being healthy together and individually. And we do that when we're occupied by the Spirit of God. Amen.